Tonight, uh, let us uh, finish up our series that we've been doing, Reality from TV. Um, Television is a part of our culture. Uh, We can't get away from it. Uh, Three, uh, the average home today, I think, was, we we said at the beginning of this uh, series, the average home has three television sets in it. Yours may have more. But uh, television is just a way of life. And so what I thought I would do in this series is just take some of the titles of some of the old television shows and use those titles. We're not talking about the shows, but just use the titles as a jumping off point uh, to talk about really what's far more interesting and compelling than what you would see on TV. Uh, Bible stories that are true, real, reality, uh, better than what you see on television. And we've had a number of lessons. The first one was Adam's family. Uh, We talked about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Uh, We talked about uh, the Three Stooges. And those were, of course, Job's three friends. Gave him some terrible advice. Uh, We talked about uh, Jonah, the fugitive. uh, Jonah running from God. We talked about Father Knows Best. And how that uh, God, uh, in his instruction, his commandments, are wise uh, counsel to us. Last week, we talked about the odd couple. And that, of course, was Gomer and Hosea, a prophet and a harlot, married. Well, tonight, and the last night of this series, is we want to talk about Mission Impossible. Maybe you remember that show. All these shows are older shows. Um, I remember wanting to like Mission Impossible, but I couldn't because it was always over my head. I, I tried to like it. The part I did like about it is that in the introduction, they would have that time, you know, that, that um, fuse going. And, and this message will self-destruct in five seconds or something. I got to think, I hope the sermon doesn't self-destruct on me, but uh, it could, it could. But tonight, give me your attention as we talk about Mission Impossible. And kind of one of the reasons I did this is to just give us a little bit of, have a little fun, suggest, what's the sermon going to be about? Mission Impossible. And I had several ideas offered uh, for tonight, all good, but none of them were what I had uh, chosen. Mission Impossible. What is the, the impossible mission? If you want to look at scripture and what I would suggest to you and what I want to look at comes from Ephesians chapter three. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter three. And let's talk about what I believe is an impossible mission. Of course, when I say that, we're accepting uh, the power of God to do whatever he is able to accomplish by himself and through us as his instruments Um, All things are possible with him. But look in Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me by the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here's what Paul's saying, basically, if I can just rephrase that. Paul says, let me tell you about something that I've told you a little bit about, but I'm going to just disclose here. Full disclosure. I want to tell you about a mystery that in other ages has not been made known. Um, Others have tried to look into it. They've tried to know, 
but um, now it has been revealed to his apostles and prophets. And let, let me share what this mystery is. He says, this mystery, which was not made known in other ages, but now has, is this, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace given to me by the effective effective working of his power. The impossible mission, one of several that you could pick out, the one that I want to choose tonight, is the bringing together Jew and Gentile, reconciling them in one body, that they be fellow partakers, fellow heirs together of the grace of God. Do you understand how hard that is? If you were listening, sitting in a first century church and you hear the Apostle Paul say, let me tell you, here's the deal. Here's what God's going to do. He's going to bring Jew and Gentile and we're going to rub shoulders together in one church and we're all going to, we're all going to like it. You got to be kidding. I'm not going to get around those Gentiles. Are you kidding me? Gentiles, part of the body, fellow heirs, come on. I mean, we're Jews. We're God's special people. We've been chosen for generations. And to say that they're going to stand on equal footing with us, no way. No. It's not going to happen. I think that that was next to an impossible mission. Who in the world could pull that off? Now, I hope you understand, in Genesis chapter 12, if you go back to verses 1 through 2, God does call Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And through your descendants, through your seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And he was talking about Jesus. He he says, all right, Abraham, I've picked you to be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah. And it's going to be through your lineage that the Messiah comes. And when he comes, he's going to bless all nations. Not just the Jews, but all peoples. That promise was given to the Jews. If you look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, God specifically says to the Jews as he's about to give them the Ten Commandments on the next chapter, or in the next chapter, he says, I want you... To be my people. A a special people. I want you to be a kingdom of priests to me. You're going to be like no other nation. I have chosen you to be a special nation. and, And it's going to be through this nation that Jesus comes and all nations of the earth will be blessed. Because of that special blessing, there are people who think, Jews among them. God didn't really care much about the nations. We're his special people. Those Gentiles, well, does God even take notice of them? I mean, they got an uppity attitude because they were God's people. He chose us. They were all into lineage. They were all into their heritage. They were all into being able to say, my great, 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 Grandfather Abraham, man, that made them proud to be able to trace that back and to be able to say, I am a son of Abraham. They were haughty oftentimes. God didn't intend that. 
When God called the Jews apart and said, you know what, I want to have you as a special people. I want to bless you in special ways. I want to make a covenant with you that I have not made with the other nations. He was not elevating them so that they could cop an attitude toward the Gentiles. If you think that God didn't care about non-Jewish people, maybe you need to go back and read your Old Testament. Do you remember the book of Jonah we talked about just a few weeks ago? Jonah was sent to go preach to whom? Assyria, the Gentiles, Nineveh. God cared about the Gentiles. He loved them too, but they just weren't a set-apart people for a specific purpose. He loved the Gentiles. He wanted them to repent. Um, The book of Nahum. Nahum was a prophet that spoke again to those same people, Nineveh, uh, the Assyrians, uh, because God loved them. There, There are all sorts of warnings and admonitions given to the nations. In fact, Isaiah chapter 42 tells us, in verse 1, and also again in verse 6, how that God, through Jesus, was going to bless the nations, bless the Gentiles. It was God's intent. It has always been His intent to love all men. The fact that He had a special relationship with the Jews did not mean they were better than anybody else. It didn't mean that they were superior It didn't mean that the Gentiles were low life and he didn't have any use for them. According to Romans chapter 1, they were a law. They had moral uh, discernment about them. They didn't have a codified law like God gave in the Ten Commandments to the Jews, but they had law. They had conscience. They knew the difference between right and wrong, and he expected them to live according to that. So, when you come to Isaiah Chapter 11. Turn in your Bible there because I want you to see something that I think is interesting. Because God says a long time ago, here's what I'm going to do. And if you were living in the time of the first century or in the time when this interaction between Jew and Gentile was alive and well, you would think, no way. It's impossible. But listen to what God said. He's talking about the coming of the kingdom. When Jesus comes, the nature of the kingdom of God, what, what will it be like? And he says, you know, there shall be come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is the fear of the Lord. We're talking about Jesus and his coming. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor uh, decide by hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with his rod with his, of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be his belt, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Listen, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And even goes so far as to say the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den 
and they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and his water shall cover the sea. What does that mean? When the kingdom of God was to come, when Isaiah pictured this, don't take that as a literal, you know, this is figurative language. The lion and the lamb shall lay down together. A child shall be able to put its hand in a snake den and not be bit. The, uh, you know, all these, all these things that have warring natures that would otherwise just destroy each other, they'll come together. It's a beautiful description of what the kingdom of God will be like. People of different backgrounds, different races, different locations, different education levels, different social statuses, they shall all be brought together in the kingdom of God and they will exist in peace. Really? Can that really happen? Can somebody bring that about? Can we have Jew and Gentile come together in one body and be one and not hate each other? That's the impossible mission that I want to talk about. And the answer to that is yes. And how it is accomplished is through the church. You are a part of the fulfillment of that impossible mission. The coming together of people with varied backgrounds. People that if we were in the world, we might not have a whole lot to do with each other. But because we're in Christ... We're brethren. The church is the way by which Jesus intended. It was a mystery not made known to other ages, but now has been revealed that in the church, the body of Christ, those who once stood at enmity against each other will now be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a beautiful picture. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 16 sometime and, and read how that in Christ, in that one body, that wall of partition that kept people apart would be broken down and we would all be one in the body of Jesus. And that is exactly what we have. To include the Gentiles as fellow heirs, fellow partakers, standing on equal level with the Jews, it would take some convincing that's why in Acts chapter 10 and verse 11, or Acts 10 and, and, and 11, chapters 11, um, Peter preaches to Cornelius, a Gentile, in his household. And the Holy Spirit falls on them as it did on them in the beginning, as it did on the Jews. And it was a sign to say, they're included too. Not only did this give, was this given to the Jews, but it was also given to the Gentiles. God's going to fulfill his promise. Do you understand how much animosity there was between Jew and Gentile? Have, have you ever looked and read? I mean, the snobbery by some of the Jews who, who treated the Gentiles as just unclean, heathen people. We're the children of God. Look at how many times people boasted about being descendants of Abraham. The Gentiles didn't have that. In fact, in, when, when we went to... Uh, Israel, there were a lot of uh, cities that would have what are called mikvahs, and they're ritual bathing, uh, like, like baptistries. 
They would have a set of stairs that the Jew would walk down into, and, and they would be totally submerged in a ritual bathing, cleansing. And then they would come up on a different step. They wouldn't walk back up on the dirty steps that they walked down on because that would defile them. And why did they do that? Well, one of the reasons is that while I was in town, I might have brushed against one of those dirty Gentiles. And I can't go home with that filth on me. And so towns had mikvahs all around, and the Jew would go down and cleanse himself so that he would be pure. Gentiles, Jews, there was hatred, there was animosity. Even when Paul took up money to take to Jerusalem, they were in a famine. This is food. These are the basic essentials. They were in a famine, and there was poor among the saints. And Paul took up a collection from Gentiles and sent that money back to Jerusalem, and he prayed that they would accept it. Why would they not accept it? If you're hungry and somebody gives you a dollar, why would you say no? Because they had that kind of animosity. I'm not taking Gentile money. But God was able to accomplish... Jew and Gentile coming together in one body. And if he could do that with Jew and Gentile, what are the implications for us today? And that's what I want to get at. That impossible mission is still being lived out, and we can help to bring it to fruition, or we can stand in its way. There cannot be in the church any place for racism There cannot be any room for discrimination based upon race or or color. All of that has to be abandoned as foolishness when you stand at the foot of the cross. You're kidding me. Really? The value of a person is determined by the pigmentation of one's skin? You've got to be kidding me. That notion has to go. If God can bring Jew and Gentile together with their thousand, two thousand years of animosity that they felt toward each other and, and bring them together in one body, this is the great mystery of God that has been not, not been made known in other ages and has come to fruition in the first century in the church. If he can bring Jew and Gentile together, why can't he bring black and white together? To have hatred because a person looks different? There's no place for that, and we'll, we'll talk about a passage as we bring it to a close. But that has to be abandoned. And if we harbor those kind of feelings and ill will toward one another, then we've got work to do. You're in the way of God's mission of reconciliation to himself and to one another. Also, we're going to have to get rid of grudges. Grudges have to be dropped And in their place, forgiveness has to be picked up. You can't go to heaven and hate your brother. You can't go to heaven and wish ill will toward another person. If we're ever to accomplish this impossible mission, we're going to have to come together and we're going to have to say, I forgive you. And if we can't muster the strength to say those words, how then can we expect to then turn around and look to God and say, God, Forgive me of my sins. Well, he quite frankly says he won't. 
In Acts chapter, or Matthew chapter 18, he says, if we don't from our hearts forgive our brothers their trespasses, then he will not forgive ours. If we're going to accomplish this impossible mission, grudges have to give way to forgiveness. Also, nationality has to give way to uh, participation in a universal kingdom. What country are you from? Oh. Oh. Yeah. We know about those people. When you talk in terms of nations in such broad and generalized terms that degrade the individual, you're out of line. When you think that you can identify a nation of people by a word, you're not being fair to someone. Let's refrain from that. We have uh, issues with immigration in our country, and it has led to uh, the, the attitude in some to look down on others. There's no place in the, of that in the kingdom of God. I'm all for obeying the laws of the land. I'm not for looking down on people because they're from a different nation. We need to, if we're going to fulfill this impossible mission, love men of all nations. God's not a respecter of persons. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, what's he say? It's the person who fears God, works righteousness from all nations. That person shall be respected by God. Also, not only nationality, but regional differences must be given up in favor of what we have in common. You know, I went to church one time when I was a child. I'll never forget this. I went to church one time in Florida. We lived north of Pittsburgh. And somebody at a covered-ish dinner looked at us and said, Where are you from? My dad said, "Uh, Well, just a little north of Pittsburgh. And that person said, Oh, another exclamation, Yankee. At a church potluck dinner. Oh, you know... Yankees and Southerners, they can't. Let let those folks stay up north. Or let those people stay down south. In Christ, we are one. We have far more in common than we do that separates us due to region. Can we afford to have prejudices toward each other because where we were born, where we live, where we grew up, our, our customs, our habits that are neither moral or immoral, we need to accept one another. If we're going to fulfill this impossible mission, politics need to vanish in the presence of King Jesus. I have seen churches split because of politics. You mean you have more loyalty to your political party than you do the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus? You'll let your your political party get in the way of serving Jesus? You'll let it get in the way of your friendship, your relationship to a brother? You, you won't treat them right? You'll have ill will toward them because they're of this party and you're of that party? Are you kidding me? Really? How can God bring people together if things as small as that get in our way? And then I'll give you one more. Age. Age isn't a barrier... It should be a tool to assist us in functioning as the body of Christ. You've maybe been to congregations where 
and, and I appreciate the way we do it here and, and uh, how the elders have had this set up for years before uh, Justin or I ever, ever got here. We don't have the youth, you know, well, the youth group does its thing, and then the older folks do their thing. And so the youth come to think of the older folks as just a bunch of, oh, they're just old folks, out of touch, don't know anything. And then the, the older folks look at the youth group and say, oh, those kids, kids. We Listen, the differences in age in the body of Christ use uh, properly, allow us more functionality to function as a body. That's not a bad thing. The fact that we have people who are older and they have wisdom and experience and we can draw from that and learn from that and people who are younger who are full of energy and strength and can do things that older, older people can't do, that should work together. That shouldn't be a barrier to fellowship, not in the body of Christ. It might elsewhere in the world. But in all these passages or all these uh, areas, they hit us. You see, the fulfillment of this promise to bring men together and to bring them together to God as well, it wasn't just about Jew-Gentile. It was about us and our culture, our surroundings, and all the things that we just talked about. Now, if you're not inclined to do the hard work to make this work, to fulfill, to accomplish this impossible mission. Let's close by reading James chapter 2. If you have your Bible, open it to James chapter 2. Read with me beginning in verse 1. We'll go down through verse 9. My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In other words, you can't show partiality and be a Christian. You can't treat people differently and and favor some and, and look down on others. If you're a Christian, he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to him or to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, oh, you sit here in a good place, and, and you say to the poor man, uh, you go stand there or, or sit here at my footstool. In other words, hey, come up here and I'll help you find a nice seat. Here, have a seat here. Oh, you're not dressed so well. Why don't you stand in the back over there uh, by that wallflower? And, 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 uh, or you can sit down on the floor you know, somewhere back there. That's what he said. He said, listen, my beloved, or verse 4, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not rich, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you're called? They were showing favoritism to rich people. But he says, it's the rich that have been giving you all the grief. They're the ones hauling you off and and blaspheming the name of God. Why would you show preference treatment or give preference treatment to them, of all people? He said, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. It's not a matter of upbringing. It's not a matter of choice. You know how many times I've heard people talk about their prejudices and they say, they'll, they'll tell you what they are and then right after it they'll say, but that's just the way I was brought up. As if that's an excuse. It's not. James says it's sin. And if you do it, you're a transgressor. God has and has had a great plan. It wasn't always known. But in the days of Paul, the apostles and the prophets, he made known a mystery that in other ages had not been made known. And it's this, that Jew and Gentile, people who are totally different, can be brought together in one body, the church. And we can dwell together in peace with each other, as well as attaining peace with God. And people who have backgrounds that are diametrically opposed to each other. People who are as different as the lion and the lamb can come together in the body of Christ and be brethren. It sounds like an impossible mission. It is in the world. But the power of the gospel to convert, to change us, can do just that. If you want to be a part of a kingdom a church that puts all these external things aside and calls us to what we have in common, a need for a Savior, our love for God, our faith in Jesus. And why don't you obey the gospel tonight? If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we can assist you in that this evening. And if you have done that, but you haven't really been thinking about this mission that God has, how it's a part of his plan. And you haven't been trying to fulfill this impossible mission. Then maybe it's time to rededicate yourself. Get back, get rid of your prejudices, get rid of those differences. And again, focus on what we have in common in Jesus. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.